Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to you mothers out there and to Mark. Uh, if you would please turn with me to Mark chapter 4, be in verses 35 to 41. I once had a mother of adult children tell me that you're never happier than your most miserable child. She said that. I, I think what she meant was that her heart always felt the burden of her children's hardship. Uh, maybe that she couldn't be carefree while her children were suffering. Uh, there's certainly a special love of a mother for her children and a special anguish when they are hurting. Uh, I know that because I saw that, I've seen that in my own mother and I've seen that in my wife with our son. Well, our text this morning that we're going to spend our time in is not your stereotypical Mother's Day text or a Mother's Day sermon text. Uh, it's continuing in our gospel here that we're working through. Uh, but it is applicable to mothers of children of all ages. One thing I've learned about parenting is that it requires faith. Uh, and our passage in Mark 4 deals with faith. Uh, specifically, it uh, deals with putting our faith in the one who has power over every authority in this world. And I think that should encourage us as we think about any calling that we have from the Lord, and especially in motherhood. Well, let's read our passage. We're in Mark chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse 35 down through the end of the chapter. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. As we have sung this morning, Lord, you are the creator and you are great over everything. You are worthy to be praised. Lord, we are so glad to be your children, knowing that you have power over all things and that you care for us. Would you help us as we look into your word this morning? I pray that you would strengthen our faith and give us joy in yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the main things this passage is calling us to this morning is that we would embrace Jesus as Lord over nature and trust him. We would embrace Jesus as Lord over nature and trust him. And I think this text is inviting us uh, to do that by finding rest in his confidence, as Jesus' confidence, finding peace in his power, and finding faith in his identity. We'll see those as we work through this. As our passage opens up, it comes right after the telling of these parables. Uh, that is the same day that Jesus told the parables that we see in, in Mark chapter 4. Through the morning and the afternoon, he's been teaching. Now evening comes, 
and he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. It's time to go. It says here that they take him just as he is. So you'll remember, there's a great crowd. They get into a boat. They push a little bit off ashore so that Jesus has some distance between him and the crowd, and he teaches them. And rather than going back to shore and trying to make his way through the crowd to get home to pick up anything from the house, they just go. They just push off, and they go out into the sea. So they're, they're not going home for their toothbrushes, uh, if they had toothbrushes. They're, they're just setting out. His teaching is done, and so now they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, remember, the Sea of Galilee, is, I think I said before, it's kind of like a sad egg that's upside down. It's kind of this oblong shape. And they're crossing probably from the northwest side towards Capernaum um, across, and we'll see next week their destination. Uh, and, and they're heading out. It's evening. It's turning into nighttime. Mark includes a, a few details here that none of the other gospel writers include. Um, one of those details is he says here that uh, there are other boats with him. Now, I, I think these specific details that are told here uh, point to the fact that this is an eyewitness account. Now, it's not that Mark was there, but remember we said before, likely the Gospel of Mark is written with Peter at his elbow. And so Peter is probably relaying these details to Mark as he's writing this Gospel account. And so we find some of these unique details in this Gospel. Uh, and the next thing that is noted here is that sometime in that night, a storm comes, and it is severe. Now, on the northeast side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, there's Mount Hermon a few miles off. And because of the mountains there, uh, it creates this, uh, I don't know if it's a convection or what exactly, but the warm air, cold air exchange. And it, the Sea of Galilee is notorious, even to today, for having these flash storms that can be brutal. And the disciples find themselves in the midst of it. Uh, and it is all hands on deck for them. And several of these disciples, remember, are seasoned fishermen on this lake. They know what they're in for, and they know that this is dangerous. Uh, so it's all hands on deck, but almost all hands on deck, because, of course, Jesus isn't helping out. He's sleeping. Uh, it says here that he's on the cushion. He's in the stern of the boat. He's at the back of the boat, and he is sleeping. Uh, meanwhile, the disciples are in a full-on panic. Now, as humorous as the scene might be to us that Jesus is sleeping while all of this is going on, he's probably getting wet in the process, and yet he's out cold. Uh, I, I think there is something we should learn from that as we read this account. Uh, David, back in the Psalms, he connects sleep and confidence in the Lord in a couple places. In Psalms chapter 3 and Psalms 4, uh, he does that in both those Psalms. This is from Psalm 4, verse 8. David says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Because of David's confidence in the Lord, he can sleep, even in the midst of danger. Now, that's not saying that if you have sleep problems, you're not trusting in the Lord. But if you're getting bent out of shape over things that you should be trusting the Lord for, you're not going to sleep well. Uh, Jesus had no problem sleeping in this storm-tossed boat. I think the reason is because Jesus is confident in his Father and in the mission that he has been given. Jesus knows that his life is not going to end at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He knows better. And in fact, as we go back and read the story, it's Jesus 
who tells them to cross the lake in the first place. <laughs> I don't think Jesus was ignorant of the fact that there was a storm coming that night. It was Jesus himself who led them into this storm, and there he is sleeping. He is confident. He's confident in what his mission is. He's confident in what his Father is doing for them, and he sleeps. Now, I think we can find rest in Jesus' confidence. If Jesus is confident in his mission and in his Father's providence, then we can be confident and rest in that too. God's good plan will not fail. Nothing on this planet will thwart God's good purposes. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, Paul tells in Romans 8.35. Further, nothing's going to stop God working all things together for our good, Romans 8.28 tells us. Our Father in heaven knows our needs, Matthew 3.6.32. God's purposes will be fulfilled in this world and in us in us individually, and in us as a church. We can trust that the hardships that we face do not imperil God's mission in our lives and in this world. Now, the disciples, they misinterpret this confidence of Jesus. They misinterpret this uh, faith-filled sleep for complacency, as we'll see. I think we're invited next that we would find peace in his power. Find peace in Jesus' power. The disciples, they wake Jesus up with a question. They say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, on the one hand, I think we can understand their question. I think we've all had similar questions at, point, at points in our lives. We wonder, Lord, don't you care? Look at the situation I'm in. God, don't, don't you care about this? And here, in this situation, their very lives are at stake. And Jesus is just not waking up. He's out cold. You would think at some point he would get up, but he's not. Uh, their exasperation reminds me of the, the sailors in the story of Jonah. I want to flip there. You're welcome to turn there if you want to read along. In Jonah chapter 1, uh, you remember God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he decides he's going to go somewhere else. And while at sea, God hurls, uh, says here, a, a great storm. Verse 4 of Jonah 1, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break, to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, Jonah is not sleeping the sleep of faith here. Uh, he's in a state of rebellion, and he will tell them later that this very storm is on account of him. But you can see that these uh, mariners here, they are terrified that they're going to drown out in the sea. And there's Jonah sleeping. They are exasperated. Uh, there's more parallels than that even for our story. But we'll, we'll stop there. You can understand uh, the disciples are uh, at their wit's end at this point. But Jesus is no rebellious prophet like Jonah. Uh, although he is asleep in this 
life-threatening storm like Jonah. Again, uh, while on the one hand we can understand the disciples' question to Jesus, uh, we're going to soon see that their question comes from a lack of faith. Their questioning is laced with doubt. And we'll see that in a bit. Now Jesus does wake up and he acts. Verse 39 of Mark 4, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Uh, and it says that the, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now I think that the disciples expected Jesus to get up and start bailing water. I think that's what they expected. Maybe they expected him to get up and relieve one of the rowers. I don't think that they expected what he did. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. The word that's used here for rebuke is the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes demons and exercises them. Here he speaks a harsh word against the raging sea. Jesus exerts his authority over the life-threatening elements and they obey. They listen to Jesus. The Sea of Galilee has no choice but to say, yes, sir, and lay down flat and still in submission. No wind, no waves, no danger. Just a bunch of soaked and stunned disciples. With his words, Jesus has brought a great calm to a killer storm. Now, there is nothing in this world that parallels Jesus' power. With all of our advanced technology, we can't even come close to turning off a storm with a switch and with a word. Jesus is no less powerful today. Uh, our hymn, Be Still My Soul, says it well. It says, Be still my soul, the winds and waves, waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. While this is true of forces of nature, as we see here, in Mark 5, as we'll see next, uh, this is also true regarding demonic powers, it's true regarding sickness, true regarding death. Jesus, the sustainer of all things, has power over everything on this planet. If he so desires, he can silence demons, sickness, cancer, foolish leaders, hurricanes, and anything else he pleases. We should find peace in that reality. And if, for our good, he allows any of these to remain in our lives, then we should trust him, that it's there for our good. And we should rely on the fact that he has power to silence any of it. He may be refining our faith in this season, in this world that we live in, uh, but he has the power, and he will, in his good time, bring all of these things to an end. This matter of faith is an important one, as this story demonstrates, and we want to turn there next. Uh, lastly, I think our invitation here is to find faith in his identity. Jesus responds to his disciples after this episode with a correction. Back in verse 40 here, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now this may seem like a pretty strong correction, all things considered, uh, but let's not forget, the disciples had a heart response that assumed that Jesus didn't care. In that moment, they had not believed that God would preserve their lives um, or that Jesus even cared about their condition. Now, Jesus did care. Uh, there was never, in fact, a true threat that they would go down. 
Just earlier that day, Jesus had taught them about the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom, and the fact that it would spread like the smallest mustard seed into the greatest plant that birds of the heavens could rest in. And just later that day, that night, they're afraid that it's all going to end right there. Uh, if that were the case, then Jesus' teaching would seem to be false. They uh, didn't seem to, to understand enough to have that sink in. They apparently didn't have a deep confidence in the very things they were taught that morning. And if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle too. Um, sometimes it doesn't take from morning until evening before we find ourselves struggling over the very things we read that morning in the Bible. I may have said this before, but recently I was uh, a bit short with Artina one morning, and she, she asked me what I had read that morning in my devotions, and I had to uh, say a mea culpa and, and confess that I had read about patience and anger. You know, it, I guess I needed it more than I thought that morning. Uh, we often find it a challenge to take the very things we read and live them out in our lives. The disciples were struggling with this here. They were struggling to find rest in Jesus' confidence and to find peace in his power. Um, and although we can point out their faults this morning, uh, we have to do that with humility, uh, knowing that we share in their weakness. This storm at sea uh, was a trial and a test for them. And it would seem that according to the words of Jesus, they didn't pass their test. Uh, they gave way to unbelief in their trial. But we also see the mercy of our Lord here. He didn't write them off for that. It's not as if he got to shore and he says, you guys are, are done. You're fired. I'm going to go find 12 more apostles. Uh, he was incredibly patient with them in their failures. As we watch the story of Scripture unfold, we see that God has so often been so patient with his people. We can think back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, when Israel rebels, doesn't go into the promised land that God had given to them and told them he would provide for them. Uh, although he does punish them, uh, upon the intercession of Moses, he doesn't cast them off. He goes on to lead them for 40 years in the wilderness. Yes, that was a part of the punishment, but that was also part of the training. And through that time, God showed them that he is faithful to them, that he will provide for them. He showed them that he can defeat their enemies for them throughout all of this long, meandering journey where he leads them through the wilderness. And he does give them the very thing he promised to them. Although we often struggle in our trials, he is patient with us in our weakness. So I think the encouragement for us is to continue seeking him in faith, even as he's refining that faith in us. But we also shouldn't miss the response of the disciples here. I want to read verse 41 again. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now previously, they feared the storm greatly, the text tells us. Uh, but now they realize that they are in the presence of one who is greater than the sea. And now they fear him. Again, I think they expected Jesus to start bailing water, but he rebuked the sea and it cowered before him. Now, there is only one character in the Old Testament who is said to calm the raging sea, and that is nobody besides God. Only God can do that. Psalm 65, 7 tells us that it is God 
who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89, 8 through 9 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, and uh, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Uh, and who was it who sent the storm and calmed the storm in Jonah chapter 1? It certainly wasn't Jonah. God ended that storm uh, once the judgment on this prophet was carried out and he went on to spare Jonah. Uh, it's, it's God who did this. Jesus, far better than Jonah, stopped the seas raging with his words, uh, something that only God can do. When Jesus rebuked the sea, it listened. And the disciples, in response, were left in fear. They were left with a new great fear and a new question. Previously, they greatly feared the sea, and they asked if Jesus cared. Now, they greatly feared Jesus, and they asked who this possibly could be, this one who is obeyed even by the sea. They stand in absolute awe of the one who is far greater than their minds have yet conceived. Just like Jesus said in his parable that morning, to the one who has, more will be given. They have received Jesus, but he is even greater than they thought. And that is true for us as we follow Jesus as well. He is greater than our minds have yet conceived. Do you know him? Good. Know him better. Press into knowing him more. The better we know him, the more amazed we will be by this man of Galilee. He came from humble Nazareth, but he also came from his father's side. We, like the disciples, need to find our faith in his true identity. While faith is important, the object of our faith is far more important. There are billions of people alive today who place their faith in a false god like Allah or like the idols in India. But they believe in lies, and that doesn't save them. We must believe in the God of the Bible as he reveals himself. We have to let God tell us who he is. Uh, he has revealed himself in his word, and we must listen. We must accept correction and instruction as his word reveals him to us. In our text this morning, we see the disciples learning. Uh, they're learning more about who Jesus is, even as they grow in finding their faith in him. In light of all this passage, we want to embrace Jesus as Lord over nature. That's coming through this text to us this morning. And we want to entrust ourselves to him. We want to find rest in his confidence, find peace in his power. We want to find faith in his identity. Well, if Maggie would come and, and the men would prepare for communion, let's go to prayer together. Thank you. You can listen along. I'll be turning... Reading from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, I'll be starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would... Uh, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, 
When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for us all. And every, pre every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We see the story of the old covenant unfolding. Uh, we see God, his presence comes and dwells with his people. This is in Exodus chapter 40. The tabernacle has been set up and God's glory falls on this tabernacle, this meeting place with the Lord. And then we get the book of Leviticus that follows after that. And it seems that Leviticus is answering the question, how can a holy God dwell in the midst of these unholy people? And so we see all these regulations that follow in Leviticus as God is calling his people to be holy as he is holy. And the author of the book of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is seeing that uh, these regulations given, they were temporary and they weren't complete. Uh, rather, uh, they were pointers that pointed forward to the way that God would uh, sanctify his people truly. That through the blood of God's Son, that, that he would sanctify and bring us near. That we can draw near to God's presence. And this morning, uh, we can be in the presence of one who is so great to calm storms with a, a word. We can be in his presence and we can have a fear of reverence and awe without a, a fear of terror. The disciples were terrified by the sea. Uh, they were afraid that they would be crushed and killed in it. They were drowned in the sea. Uh, God's wrath is far more terrifying than any storm at sea. And yet, we can approach God, be before him with reverence and awe, not afraid of his wrath, not afraid of being crushed, but worship him in his greatness. Because the blood of his son Jesus has been shed for us. We have been made holy through the blood of Jesus. And it's in that that we stand this morning. So let's uh, give thanks even as we take the bread together. And let's take the juice. Well, Scott, if you would.